0: Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElroy. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. In this week's episode, we're very happy to have a return guest, Rick LePage, author and photographer and a man who loves printing.
1: Rick, thank you very much for joining us again. I'm very happy to be here. How are you doing in the lockdown? I'm doing all right. I have my good days and my bad days. Um, Where do you live again?
0: Are you California? Or... No,
1: I'm living in Eastern Oregon. So
0: Eastern Oregon.
1: Yeah, and we've we've out in the Badlands. Yes, out in the Badlands, we've we've miraculously had m- almost no cases um, of COVID nineteen here. Although that's meant that most people don't tend to believe that it's really happening. <laughs> so, ah. so it's been a bit of a, a challenge, but I'm doing all right. right. I'm I've actually been doing a lot of printing and uh, a lot more writing than normal, which is good. So I haven't been getting out, taking as many photographs as I'd like, but I also have been doing a little theme around the quarantine, sort of working on out-of-focus stuff. That's interesting.
0: We'll link to your blog where you had an interesting article called Do The
1: work a couple of weeks ago yeah
0: um, which i found quite inspiring thank you
1: yeah it was it was a there was a nice reception to it so my my good friend duncan davidson and i were talking um via skype a few weeks ago and um i was talking about it and he just kind of inspired me to get going on it and he's the guy who actually came up with the title which
2: i was grateful for So the reason we asked you to come on this week, uh, there were a couple of events that happened right about the same time, and I thought this would be a great conversation, one of which is I wanted to print something. I should clarify, I wanted to have something printed, and we can talk a little bit more about that. Uh, (laughs) I wanted to print for my wall, and so I didn't really know what. I had a space that I wanted to put something in. And so that led me to the next question of, okay, well, what am I going to put in that space? And that led me to other questions like, how do you choose what to print? Early on in the podcast, when we had Rick on before, we talked about sort of printing in general. And we talked about the the mechanics of printing your own stuff and why you would want to print it. And I encourage everybody to go re listen to that episode. I listened to it again last night. And so here, I really wanted to talk more about how do you choose what to commit to paper? Because the other event that happened was Rick actually made some prints and mailed them out to some friends. They're beautiful. Uh, I'm not sure if these are five by sevens, maybe one of the blog posts that Kirk mentioned, you can see some of these pictures that he did. Um, But they're, they're just these beautiful prints that arrived out of nowhere. And so my next inclination was, oh, you know, I should send something back, send something printed, but I don't have a printer. I still have not jumped on that bandwagon. And so it just brought about these swirly notions of, okay, I've decided that I want to print something. What am I going to print? Is it something that is just for my own personal, I like this? Do I go through my library and find anything that I uh, rated as four stars and pick from that because it's a quote unquote good photo. Do you not rate anything more than four stars? Well, I do four stars or five stars.
0: It depends. Well, if you're going to go through the four stars to look for something to print, maybe you should go through the five stars first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't like stars personally. So I, since I use photos to manage my photo library, right, I just,
2: yeah, they're favorites have or not. I don't have to do that granular rating. I tend to do more granular rating. Actually, I think we talked about it maybe the second episode of Photoactive. But I guess the point of picking you know, with the star ratings is that expectation of, okay, I know that this is a good photo for whatever reason. Objectively, maybe it's got good composition, good color. I like it. But is it worth printing? Is that what I want to have on my wall the whole time? Did Did you train as an engineer?
1: I did not.
2: <laughs> I did not, surprisingly. You know,
1: because, because I... I... <laughs> It's a great question Um, it it seems funny to me that you see a space on the wall and you say i need to fill that with a photograph as opposed to going i've got these photographs that i really like i would love to have one of these on my wall that just seems to me i mean i'm not (laughs) saying it's wrong but it just seems it's a different
2: approach and it is it is well Part of it is that, so my home office is basically in an upstairs attic and I have weird walls where they're angled. And so I was, I was specifically thinking like I wanted to put something up of mine uh, just to have something on the walls, but they're angled walls. And I was trying to figure out what would work on an angled wall because I didn't want to like screw in frames or what have you. And that then led to, okay, I want something on my walls here. So I'm sure it would be a different calculation, a different thought process of what, what am I going to put in my living room? That's another question to ask. You know, what do we show other people versus things just for ourselves? And I'm totally jumping ahead and talking too much. So help me, Rick.
1: <laughs> so, you know, there's a couple of things. One, I know you don't have a printer, so yes. it makes it more difficult for you to print. Yes. Um, although I'd argue, well, now... Especially, yes, but outside of pandemic world, it's very easy to print and it's very easy to print inexpensively. I mean, Mm -hmm. you could take you could take 100 photos and send them to Costco and have them four by sixes or five by sevens and it would be a reasonable amount of money. Yeah, but the printing won't be quite exactly good enough. Well, let's get let's get away from that first. Uh, You know, the the, because part of this is
0: the enemy of the good.
1: Yeah. Perfect is the enemy of the good. And one of the things, if you say to yourself, the only thing I want to put on my living room wall is fine art. That's a different conversation than I want to put something on my wall that I have an emotional connection to,
2: which is
1: what I would look at, you know? Um, and we get hung up in stars and likes and all that sort of stuff. Um, one of the, you know, I, I have my own system for rating things. Um, What I do have is I have a, I have two albums that are called are basically portfolio albums. Mm -hmm. One is my master portfolio, which are the images that I've taken since 2000 that I consider to be my best work. And then I have sort of a ongoing portfolio. It's like, it's like a, the, triple a in a baseball you know it's like Mm -hmm. it's the images that as i'm working on them over the course of the last couple years that i kind of like that i have a connection to um some of them are snapshots right family stuff some of them are things that might be might go into that that master portfolio but the you know i i think well, especially if you don't have a printer, it's easy to get hung up on what do I print? Because you've got to, you've got to do something, which is why Jeff, the next time I do this podcast, I want to hear that you have a freaking printer. (laughs) I can't believe that with all Jeff writes about photography, he doesn't own a printer. Yeah. And, and you know, it's when, when Jeff and I talked about this a few weeks ago, you know, he was like, well, what do you print? What do you choose to print? And I think my response to him was I print pretty much everything. You know, if it's, if, if, I'm interested in it. If I have a connection to it, it, uh, you know, I, I will put a stack of five by seven or four by six paper in my printer and I will print 50 images. I will literally sort of create a temporary album. I will select all of them. I'll crop them because you know, almost always, you have to crop depending on what size you're printing. Yeah, And I will just gang print them and i get them out of my machine. And it's like, I just, I throw them down on the, on the, the, the desk, you know, and it's like, I go through them and um, Duncan and I used to do this. And it's like this, this challenge yourself, look at a look at a, a photo for a couple of seconds. Is there any sort of reaction that you have to it? If yes, it goes in this one pile. No, it goes in another pile, you know, and then you've got out of a hundred photos or 50 photos, you might have five that you're like, there's something about this. And then, then it's a, a dance of You know, is this is this I'm just going to keep it as a four by six in a basket for, you know, till it goes away? Or is it something that I want to do something with, you know, and that's one of the one of the benefits of of having a printer to print that stuff.
0: Um, We've had David Dushman on the podcast twice, and he's constantly talking about in his own podcast about how photos don't exist until you print them. And it's an interesting point because for most of us, the photos exist on the screen of a camera or an iPhone, on the screen of a computer on Flickr, Instagram, whatever, but we don't print. Now, you've been printing since forever. You invented the printer. And so for you, it's just a reflex to print photos. But it's true that if every time we take photos and we've winnowed out the crappy ones and we've marked the favorites or the the high-rated ones or whatever, if we just printed them and stuck them in a pile and spent more time looking at the prints, our approach to photography, I think, would be very different.
1: Yes, I would agree with that. Um, I, I I have a, a yin-yang relationship to the screen. You know, I, I feel as though we spend so much time creating photographs that are designed for the small screen, whether it's the phone, whether it's the iPad, whether it's the laptop. You know, I mean, how many people really have a big screen now. They don't, you know, other than their TV. You know, and I don't see a lot of people putting photos on their TV. But you know, it's a different medium. And photography, you we can go back and forth on whether what's happening today with, you know, if, if someone doesn't print, is that really photography? You know, it's just sort of an offshoot of photography, I would say. It's a different genre but one of the things that drives me crazy about the screen is that we get this push towards sameness you know the 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 thing where someone sees this beautiful landscape and what do they want to do you know there's all the comments are where is this place can you give me the gps coordinates i want to know because they want to go and they want to get that photograph we we talked about this in our in
0: our previous episode um with pierre bernard um, because we were pointing out that sometimes you want to strip GPS location data from your photos. So people don't overrun beautiful sites. And I mentioned, uh, I don't remember where it was. There was a photo, um, I think the Guardian had an article talking about Instagram and people taking photos for Instagram. So they showed the photo of the person on the edge of the cliff over the fjord or the mountain or whatever. But then they turned around and showed the photo of all the people lined up to take their turn to get the photo on the cliff. And it, it's almost as if it's almost as if people are doing this to check things off a checklist. But in a way, that's what tourism is, isn't it? People don't yeah. say they're going to visit. Pisa to see the Leaning Tower. They say they're going to do Pisa. They're going to do the museum or whatever. And it's a checklist. It's not important to most people. So I think we need to distinguish the sameness of the photo because people are sharing interest, right? I've got a Grateful Dead t-shirt on, which I often have. It's part of my identity that I have Grateful Dead t-shirts. And it puts me in a tribe. And I think it's kind of the same with photos sometimes, that having taken the photo that your friends took gives you a sense of
1: belonging. I think you're absolutely right. There's no difference between, you know, when the Polaroid first came out and, it, you know, was this sort of basic, consumer camera and you know everybody took it everywhere and took the same photographs um, my wife's dad after he died they found a uh, boxes and boxes of slides of a uh, trip, trips that they had taken across the country and it's the exact same photograph it's him and his wife <laughs> he clearly had a tripod in front of this national monument, that national monument, this forest, that forest. I mean, it's actually hilarious. It's, it's, it's sweet. It's, it's, it's really cool, you know, and it, but it's personal to, to that family, you know, there's no difference there. And I, I, you know, I, I don't think we wanted this to become a discussion about whether, on the, you know whether the screen is bad or good or or any
2: of that sort of stuff or,
0: or the motivation behind why people right. are taking
1: photos,
2: right? Well, yes. actually, that's what I wanted to jump in with is that intention as you're shooting because, as you said, Kirk, people just go into a spot to either say they've been there or you know to show they've been there or to put that image that they saw on Instagram on their own feed. That sort of uh, I don't know, contemporaneous sharing of, of of images versus going to a spot and asking the question, Rick, when you're out shooting, are you thinking, how is this going to look when it's printed when you're composing a shot? Or is it more amorphous? Just this is what I like about this scene. How much is the printing part of it? Or because you print everything, that's just sort of one one solid through line? Um, well, first of all, I don't print everything. I, I, I do want right, to right, clarify right. that. Um, you print more than I do.
1: I do print more <laughs> than you do. Yes, I do. The, the reason those three images in that West series that I did and said, this is the West, is because the barbed wire shot, which is the very first one I took, I was standing in the Owens Valley, and I saw that shot and I was like, that is going to look beautiful printed. Uh-huh. And this other two images, I had the exact same reaction. Like, We went back to shoot the tree in the Palouse at night on a second night because we didn't quite get what we wanted the first night and we wanted to do one a time lapse. I was also sitting there thinking, okay, what do I need to do to capture this so that I will get A good enough print out of it. So there are times when I think
0: that way. That's interesting. And that reminds me of a wonderful quote by Gary Winogrand. He said, photography is not about the thing being photographed. It is about how that thing looks photographed. Yes. And that's an interesting Mm. concept that it's not about what you're seeing. It's about the simulacrum that you're making of what you're seeing. It's about the resulting product of what you're seeing and how you or other people then look at it. And this is obvious because you choose your framing, you choose your exposure, your contrast, etc., and your photograph never looks exactly the same as the thing you're photographing. That's
1: correct. That's absolutely correct. I what, what I
0: find interesting about Jeff's question um, is... I have a space on my wall and I want to fill it. And And you mentioned this before. My problem is I don't have enough room on my walls anymore because I do have a lot of art on my walls. I mean, you can see over there um, a couple of Bob Dylan prints on the wall. And that's an Enzo by Kaz Tanahashi, who's a, a very well-known mm-hmm. Japanese artist. Um, I've got photos by Michael Kenna over there. I've got other photos upstairs. I've got other Dylan prints and a whole bunch of things. And it's almost to the point that I've run out of space. So, A few months ago, I was thinking, I want to print some of my prints and put them on the wall. But where? Um, The only place I have in my office here is above a radiator. And I could put the photos there. They just won't last as long. You know, usually you don't put anything above a radiator, but I could. Um, and, And my idea is more the same way that you were talking about. You print them, you look at them, you put them on a table. I want to be able to see my photos out of the corner of my eye. As I walk around during the day, I want them to come in subconsciously so I can better understand
1: whether they're good or not. So my first wife and I, we had a lot of art on our walls and it was all artwork or someone else's photographs. And my wife asked me one day, she says, well, how come we don't have any of your photos on the wall? And I was, my response was, "Uh, you would like that? And she was (laughs) like, yeah, I would love that. So we found some spaces where we could, I could put some artwork up and I had some ideas about what I wanted to do. But one of the things that I found over time was I get tired of that photograph. I don't necessarily like that one. So I'd start rotating art in and out. I also would do these things like there were places in the house, like in the bathroom, I strung little piece of twine across a section of the wall and got little binder clips and these five by sevens that I would print. I would just hang them from there. You know, it's almost like trying out art, right? Mm -hmm. Trying out the things that I like. And I, I think it's important to sort of rotate stuff in and out. I mean, if you've got some beautiful piece of artwork that you consider a pillar of, you know, your artistic sense, yeah, you leave that over the mantelpiece or whatever. But, you know, I think art, I mean, no museum has all of their artwork up on the walls at any one time. They rotate things in and out for a for good reason. Yeah, I, I rotate my artwork from
0: room to room at different times. Yeah. Um, I get tired of seeing the same things. Um, so I move them around and they look better in different light. They look better in a different context. Um, but the idea of printing, it's always, I think I'll admit it, that there's a certain fear of putting my photos on the wall next to, Michael Kenna's photos and Bob Dylan's prints and comparing oh, I, them. I well, don't think be, there's... Because, be, no, it's because the the lack of confidence that my work is that good.
1: Okay. That's a different, that's a completely different thing. Yeah. Not not to keep talking about this project. It scared the crap out of me. Because I was sending what I considered to be artwork out to a group of about 30 people, some of whom were good friends, some who were not. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, what kind of pretentious snob am I thinking that I'm sending mm-hmm. someone art, you know? And it's taken me a long time. I've been shooting since I was, well, since I was 14 years old. Okay. I've gotten serious that's about it. you last... now,
0: so that's been a long yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. But you
1: look great. And, but I would say it was only about two years ago and it was through... Conversations with my friend Duncan and my friend Hudson, where I finally had the courage to say to myself, I am a photographer. Okay, I'm not adding anything to it other than that. I'm not a fine art photographer, but I am a photographer. And when I sent this set out to people, that's kind of what I was saying. This is what I do I write and I take pictures. And you might like these, you might not like them, give them to people put them in a closet, hang them on a wall, stick them in a book. But all I'm hoping to do is give you a little bit of smile at a a crazy time in this world. And I think that, that for me, that's remarkably free. I don't care that I've got, you know, some amazing photographs and posters on my wall from, from photographers that I respect and admire, you know, but I'm also proud of the fact that I do take photographs Some of them are snapshots. Some of them are good. Some of them are not good. They're not going to appeal to everybody because art is a personal thing. I understand the lack of confidence, but I also feel like I've seen your work. You shouldn't feel embarrassed about the work that you show, and you should feel good about putting it on your wall or putting it on your desk or something. Yeah,
0: it's not embarrassed, but it's it's the, you mentioned the word pretension of sending art to people. It's it's oh, – what's the word? It's the it's the apprehension of yes. judging and being judged.
2: It's scary. It is yeah. scary. It is. Even if you're the one who's seen it all the time and doing the judging.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I look back at my photos that are my favorites in my photos uh, library, and I think things a few years ago, it's like, why? This isn't that good. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm constantly going back and culling the ones – that just weren't good. And I'm sure that there are photos that I took last year that I thought were really good, that I'll look back at them in a few years and think, not that good. But then we evolve as, and I'm going to use the word with a capital A, artists, because Mm -hmm. no matter what, uh, unless we're doing snapshots or wedding photography or portraits, we're doing photography with the goal of creating art, of creating something that's beautiful. And we evolve. And what we think is good today, we don't think is good tomorrow. And we learn new techniques, we
1: learn new approaches. So I will say to you, I'll say to you both, if what you believe you are doing is art, then you need to be printing. You need to be printing. You know, and I don't care whether you're printing to Costco and then working on trying to make something beautiful and getting someone like Mpix or a fine art printer to print it final, but you need to be printing because that tactile nature of the print is the is that's the history of photography right there yeah you know
0: so after you were on the podcast the first time i went and bought a printer an epson 1500 something something good printer not cheap um i mean 150 170 pounds not not a 50 pound 50 dollar printer i just can't figure out how to get it right Um, particularly black and white photos, they have a magenta cast. I remember spending an hour and a half on the phone with Epson, couldn't figure it out. Um, There's always just so many problems. It's just not right. And it's like the colors aren't right. And the lighting's not right. My monitor is calibrated. um, So that's not the problem. And I was just thinking recently, you know, to hell with it. I'm going to find a good printer that I can send some photos to and have them printed, not Costco or whatever the equivalent is, not a fine art printer, but something in between where I can trust that they're going to do better quality prints than what I can get at home. Because it's very frustrating to have this thing here that doesn't, I mean, I'm pretty good with computers and technical gadgets, but this one just flummoxes me. Yeah.
1: Yeah and i without you know i'd have to know what what model it is and all that but i will say that black and white printing is an art yeah more than color i mean it truly is um and if it's a dye based printer it probably doesn't have enough gray ink in to, in it to it's got to, to balance. it's got
0: three grays and it's like seven cartridges mm mm-hmm. mhm um, which I chose particularly because I did want to do a lot of black and white.
1: Yeah. Um, and have you tried using the, the Epson advanced black and white option in the print driver? I have no idea.
0: I'll have to look into it.
1: Yeah. there's a they They actually, I know on their pigment-based printers, I don't know about the dye-based printers, the pigment printers have a setting for advanced black and white that is designed to help remove color cast. Okay.
0: Well, um, I don't think... We'll we'll talk about this another time, but I yeah. think it's probably in the more expensive uh-huh. pigment-based
1: printers. And yes. I didn't but, want to go but, that route. But 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 I I I will say that getting great black and white prints out of a desktop printer is a difficult process. Yeah. It is okay. it is difficult. Yeah.
0: And since most of the photography that I shoot that I like is black and white. Um, that makes it a little more difficult. I'm, I've printed some great cat photos. Those are fine, you know, mm-hmm. in color, but it's the black and white stuff. It's just wrong. It's just, and, and cause there's so much subtlety when you're doing black and white. Um, if it's just a little bit too much contrast or a little bit too little or any kind of color cast. Um, Anyway, let's get rid of the technical stuff, Jeff.
2: (laughs) Well, actually, I I was going to say, I think that brings us back to the beginning because you're talking about printing something, not just because you want a print, but it is something that you care about. And so you care more to have this black and white print done well. And I think that really touches on the question of what are you going to print? The piece that I decided to eventually print uh, was something that I think is technically very good, but it also had personal meaning for me only because I thoroughly enjoyed the experience of taking it and a little bit of surprise at how well it turned out because the original was just kind of muted. And as I edited it, it turned out better. And so even though there were other photos that are technically better or probably look better on a wall, that's the one that I chose because you had an
1: emotional connection. Because I to had it. an yep.
2: emotional connection to it, and now I can look at it more often and look at it seriously as I go and order a printer.
1: Can I? Can I <laughs> well, well, let me ask. Let me ask you the question. Yeah. Do you
2: like prints? Do you? I mean, do you? Uh, I do not have a deep connection to prints. And I think maybe that's that's a huge part of it. Uh we did have some prints growing up, but I, I remember more of you know going to my grandmother's house and she had a you know a cabinet you open the door and th- there were the boxes and and all the baskets of prints. Um, we didn't really have a whole lot of that growing up that I can remember. And so I think I'm I'm like like feeling my way into this. Mm-hmm. But also I think Rick and I both started
0: um doing photography in the analog days. Um Rick, I'm sure you were in yeah. a dark room at some point, so was yes. I. So I know what the process is to go from negative to print and have it. Even if it's been a long time since I've done printing, um that is is a sort of foundation of photography to think of it that way. Yes.
2: Yeah. I I think you're correct. I I did developing you know way back in school, but I missed basically the film shooting days and so as a photographer I've only been digital and I think there's there's a connection there perhaps.
1: Yeah, I and and so you know I there were no prints in my family growing up other than polaroid prints that were just, you know, my dad would shoot. My dad gave me his old rangefinder camera that he bought when he was in Germany in the 50s and I shot with it. And it wasn't until I started in college where I actually started developing. And it all, I mean, I can remember being in the darkroom this one day when I had taken this, this photograph, I developed the, the film and I was like, oh my God, this is an amazing photo. And then I printed it and I just printed it on a test sheet, a little four by six. And I, I fell in love. I mean, I, I, I carry that. I, unfortunately, I lost the print and the negative somewhere over the course of time. I'm yeah. sure it, it would not hold up now. But that tactile I made this was sort of the defining moment for me in all of this. So, Jeff,
0: what are you going to print next? Are you going to get a <laughs>
2: printer? Um, I I am now more seriously thinking about a printer. I actually I made some prints based on, you know, coming up with, with this idea in the first place, um, that I, I had done elsewhere. There's a company called Bay photo that I've done some printing for, for like large prints for clients. And also like, I just made some, uh, little, you know, uh, four by sixes and, uh, they turned out really nice. And so Good. I feel like I've grown. <laughs> well, I, and I,
1: and I, I just say uh, again, that I think if If you do want to get a printer and you get a get one, understand that printing is not a binary process like okay, I get one great print i I get image yeah. on screen, I print to it. you know the five by seven glossy and luster paper from Red River is really cheap and five by seven is actually a nice print size because you mm-hmm. can get a good sense of what it is. Four by six glossy paper is even cheaper, um, but you know it's it's that thing about just printing things out, getting a getting a set of photographs that you think you l- you kind of like and you want to see what they look like, you know, and then doing that little exercise of just printing them out and then going through them, that that will help inform your editing, it will help inform your shooting, you know, and I mean, and my wastebasket is full of torn up photographs that I'm like, these are not anything to me, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think it's just another part of the editing process. And that's the way to think about it. If you want to print, if prints appeal to you, then you incorporate something like that and it will become easier for you. If you don't, if, I mean, if you don't want to deal with a printer, Costco does a darn good job. They really do. Especially if you just want to print out like, you know, the old Walgreens, whatever, you know, just, I, I just want to print a hundred photographs. It'll be cheap, you know, yeah. and you'll get, you can get the same feeling and you can get a sense of whether does the composition work, is the color work, you know, Do a, does the crop right? Is all of this sort of stuff that gets you thinking in a way that you don't think by just looking at it on a screen and going next, next, next.
0: Yeah. Well, also because you're looking at an object where the light is reflecting from it rather than going through it. And that gives you a different... Yes. A feel of of what you're looking at, yeah, yeah. Okay, Rick, I think we're all going to be spending a lot of money on printers and/or. <laughs> uh,
1: well, it does. It and does, then you're going to have printer, me back on. Yeah, <laughs> help us. <laughs> yeah.
0: Th- those printer cartridges aren't
1: cheap. They're Rick, aren't what
0: cheap. have you done? What have you
1: started?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think we
1: had that conversation last time, Jeff. That's <laughs> true. And, that's true. And where are you today? You still don't have a printer. <laughs>
0: yes, <exactly. laughs> but I bought a printer. See, I tried. See, and it uh-huh. just See? became there you go. so complicated, and I just had so many other things to do. Actually, with the spare time I have in the lockdown, I should probably try and figure that out a little bit more.
2: I think there I'll you do go. That. Yeah. And the thing that I've learned is I just need to go through my Instagram feed, find out which one has the most likes, and those are the ones to print, right? Did I get the right so, lesson from this episode? What
0: I find really interesting is there's generally an inverse relationship to the ones that I really like when I put them on Instagram yeah. and the ones that other people like. I think
1: I just broke Rick by saying that. No, 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 no. I just – you know, it's nice. I'm going to have tech support from you for a long time. So.
0: Okay, Rick, thanks for joining us again. I look forward to talking to you next year. Yeah. Thank it's you a so pleasure. Much.
1: I love you guys. Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: Okay. Time for our snapshots. What have you got, Jeff?
2: So I have a YouTube video to share. Uh, which, because the way we've done snapshots, it kind of feels like a like a cop out because we always have books or products or anything. But um, lately, I've been playing around with uh, like different webcam possibilities, and one possibility is to use your DSLR or mirrorless as a webcam. And so I uh, ran across this video uh, by a photographer named Kim Forelli, and. He explains how to use your DSLR or mirrorless camera with Zoom or anything else without using a dedicated hardware capture card. So basically, I'm able to take my Fuji XT3, just plug it in using the USB cable directly to my computer, and using two pieces of software, set it up so that I can use that camera as a camera either for uh, you know video conferences, Zoom, or Skype or whatever. Um, I also used it for a webinar that I did a couple of weeks ago, uh, demonstrating how to do some advanced Luminar editing, and it, it turned out really nice. You end up with a better sensor that's recording. You have you know your choice of lens, and so there was a little bit of uh, background. Wow, what is that term? I can't remember. Everything's sort the, the, of the fuzzy blur. in the background. Yeah, the background blur. blur. <laughs> Which actually was nice. It wasn't super pronounced, but it it provided a nice little separation so that people aren't just focused on everything around you in the room. And uh, it it turned out to be very helpful. Part of this is also because if you do want to get a dedicated hardware device right now, because there are so many millions of people in lockdown doing video conferences – uh, you just can't find these devices anywhere. There's there's one highly regarded one. It's called an Elgato Cam Link 4K. I think normally it's about $80. And pre-lockdown, I would be able to order that from Amazon and have it in two days. Now it's either sold out everywhere or you can get it for $400, $450. The markups on, on all these hardware capture devices is just insane. So being able to get the effect that I want, use my camera, and just have my existing USB cable was the perfect solution for me. So, of course, we'll provide a link in the show notes to watch this video, and there it has the link to the software that I used. Kirk, what do you have this week? I have a new book. In the last episode,
0: I mentioned a book I had been reading called The Zen of Creativity by John Dido Lurie. And Lurie was a photographer, and his approach to photography was changed when he met Minor White. Minor White was an extremely important photographer back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. He was the editor of Aperture Magazine from the very beginning, I think, until 1975. Um, His photography, if you think of... um, Edward Weston, for example, that some of his photographs were somewhat abstract, um, and if you think of Alfred Steiglitz and his photos that were more realistic, Minor White covers all sorts of these styles and, and and this book is a is a sort of retrospective of his life and This is someone who shot thousands and thousands and thousands of photos. Um, there are landscapes, there are abstract photos of things like riverbeds and stones. There are shots of factories, of of ice sickles and frozen waterfalls and things. And and it's an amazing range of photography that when looked at now, trying to imagine how it was looked at back then, it must have been quite radical, um, a lot of what he was doing. Now, I don't know a whole lot about the history of photography of that period and these specific photographers that were... um, Uh, At the time, Bernice Abbott, Edward Steichen, um, Edward Weston, Paul Strand, and and all of those. Uh, But I'm finding it interesting to go back and look at some of these photographers, and particularly Minor White. A lot of his photographs have a bit of a minimalist look that I appreciate. Um, So Minor White, Manifestations of the Spirit, it's published by Getty Publications. Uh, I think there was a very big exhibition at the J. Paul Getty Museum someplace. It's a relatively inexpensive book. Um, so that's my recommendation for this week. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the end. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast now.